On today's episode of I Bet You Didn't Know, I'll be discussing residential schools. This past September 30th, 2021, was the first official Orange Shirt Day, a day of remembrance for those survivors and non-survivors of Indian residential schools, which I will discuss in a moment. But first, a little background. As we are well aware, when British settlers came to the part of North America, now known as the United States in the late 1600s, they met Indians at various places along the eastern seaboard. Two tribes, the Powhatans and the Narragansetts, are considered to be the first to encounter the British. The Delaware, the Pequot, and the Wampanoags lived a little farther inland in New England. You probably have never heard of the Wampanoags, but that was the tribe involved in the first Thanksgiving story, which has been written about extensively, often with gross misinformation. All of these groups spoke a similar language called Algonquian or Algonquian. The Indians the British met, of course, made great use of the land through farming, fishing, and hunting. Not to dismiss the importance of family or tribal culture, I would argue that land was everything, and the indigenous people of North America had it all. Unfortunately, land was what the British settlers needed, wanted, and eventually took through multiple wicked ways. About a half a century after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. government decided it needed to do something with the Indians in the United States. Thus, it created the Bureau of Indian Affairs in 1824 to help the federal government negotiate trade and treaties and ultimately assimilate Native Americans into ever-growing white culture. It is the word assimilate I want to focus on. Clearly, thought the government, wheeling and dealing with those who refused to give up their cultures and land was getting too difficult. So that same Bureau of Indian Affairs established its first boarding school on the Yakima Indian Reservation in Washington State. The purpose of the schools was multifaceted. Assimilate Indian tribes, especially children, into the, quote, American way of life, end quote. Establishing the idea of private property, promote material wealth, teach reading, writing, and speaking in English, promote individualism, to teach Christianity, teach political structures, provide citizenship training, and to discourage the use of any tribal habits or customs, especially language. By the 1880s, the U.S. operated 60 schools for 6,200 students. In these schools, order, discipline, and self-restraint were valued. This, thought the Bureau, would eradicate the savage nature of the Indian. Communal ownership of land, a highly prized Indian value, was discouraged. Most of these schools were still on tribal lands. Rewind one year. In 1879, the first off-reservation boarding school was established in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, by a U.S. general named Richard Henry Pratt. Pratt's philosophy was not to destroy the Indians physically, but culturally. Assimilate them to the American or white, way of life. His motto in his proposal to the Bureau of Indian Affairs was that he wanted to, quote, kill the Indian, but save the man, end quote. This can also be called cultural genocide. So, other than the previously mentioned educational ideas, what else went on at the residential schools? Well, the hair braids worn by Indian boys were cut off, and their hair was a connection between them and their spiritual world. 
The children were, were required to wear uniforms and were now given new first and last names that sounded nothing like their originals. Native foods were abandoned. Girls and boys are kept apart, even if from the same family. Arguably, the worst assimilation tactic was the prevention of any native language in the residential school. And then there's the discipline. It was severe and generally, generally consisted of confinement for kids, deprivation of privileges for kids, threat of corporal punishment, beatings for kids, and restriction of diet. Diseases such as tuberculosis and trachoma and measles ran rampant. Naturally, death for many children was inevitable, either through illness or punishment. It is estimated that around 150,000 children attended Canadian and U.S. residential schools at one point. It is also estimated that between four and 15,000 deaths occurred. I can also state with a good degree of accuracy that probably 100% of the children who survived experienced some level of trauma both during and after their tenure. The parent-child bond was broken as parents were not allowed to visit their children and children were not allowed to go home. The schools actually saw their highest enrollment during the 1960s, during the civil rights movement. How's that for irony? The last Canadian residential school closed in 1997. 1997! And there are still boarding schools still operating in the United States, although they are now all on reservations and under Indian control, thankfully. This separation, combined with sundry levels of abuse, torture, sexual abuse, mental degradation, leads us to cultural genocide. Again, quote, kill the Indian, save the man. Orange Shirt Day is coupled with a motto, Every Child Matters. The damage created by the residential schools in the United States and Canada affected not only those who did and didn't survive, but it affected the sons and daughters who came after. Trauma and abuse is often passed on to the next generation. May it end now. Now you know about Indian residential schools. If you would like more information, I would be happy to steer you to some resources that are readily available. And thank you for listening.